Rodney Jane here with May deals so good you'll be glad you came to Bob Jane Tamar's. Buy three selected Bridgestone, Yokohama, Dunlop or Goodyear tyres and get one free tyre. Plus up to $150 instant cash back on brands like Bridgestone, Michelin, Pirelli, Continental and more. That's not all, get a massive 20% off on selected Kumo tyres. We won't be beaten with our best tyre price guarantee. Give us a call or shop online today. We'll look after you. coming for a long time. These two do not like each other. There are two parts of the story as always. Red flag, this is a suspended uh, race. Hey, it's the Parked Up Podcast, and you know we're powered by Race Fuels here. My name is Grant Rowley. I've got a very special guest coming up very soon. His name is Gary Reed. He is going to join me for episode 222 of the Parked Up Podcast. If, uh, if I was Richie Benno, and uh, doing a cricket podcast episode Choo 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 would be uh, sensational, but this is not a cricket podcast. And I think Nick Burkett ran some number 222 there for a little while in uh, in one of his entries, but uh, Nick Burkett is not on this. It is Gary Reid. Now, you'll know Gary Reid's face and his voice from the Repco bringing the Bathurst adverts. He's at all, if not um, most, of the... Supercars Championship events for the various things that he does, and he does a lot, uh, and uh, a very interesting character. If he is, if he isn't doing it, I tell you, he's about to do it because uh, he's an ideas man and he he gets stuff done. So uh, I had a really interesting uh, chat with him, and you know what? I'm just going to play it now. It is uh, episode two two two. Choo 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 of the parked up podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, we're powered by race fuels. We love the support of Bob Jane T Marts and we love this guy, Gary Reed, and he is on parked up right now. Hey, it's great to welcome Gary Reed onto the parked up podcast. Gary, thanks for coming on, mate. Uh, thanks very much, Grant. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. There we go. Excellent. So, uh, mate, what do we call you? So you're you you make cars, you make cool cars. You're an entertainer, <laughs> water skier, stuntman, entrepreneur. What is your what what's on your business card? Uh, I'm not a big. I'm honestly, I don't really have business cards, and I'm not big on titles under even our staff members for what people do because you know we you never know what we're going to do. I I started out as an apprentice carpenter and went to a professional water skier because I had a dream to work at SeaWorld and. Somehow that led me overseas to water ski over there and I wanted to come back home and started a freestyle motocross team. And then that led into 23 years of performing freestyle motocross shows, not as a rider. I was an announcer and obviously owned the team and we did, you know, hundreds of 120 days a year traveling the country of shows. And then that let me, it led me into supercars and theme parks and building some cool stuff for a few sponsors back in the day. And, now we uh, sold the freestyle team to one of our riders and now two arms of the business. One is the Showtime Entertainment Group, which is the live stunt shows at SeaWorld and Movie World. So the driving show at Movie World, uh, water ski show at SeaWorld. And then the other arm is uh, all the Showtime stuff we do at Supercars, which is build activation concepts, um, custom cars, 
course car rides and build course cars and burnout demos and some drifting demos and that sort of stuff on track as well. So however you sum that up into a business card, I guess that's what you call us. I don't know what it is. And uh, pretty much, you know, just have the attitude where we're open to to anything. You don't know where the next road's going to lead for for a company like ours, I guess. So we uh, we don't want to put a label on it too much. No, there we go. And it sounds like too many words for a label anyway. You'd run out of ink before you uh, fit all yeah. of that on there. Um, yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, it's, um, it's just as long as we're having a good time doing it and keeping everyone happy, that's all we do. Excellent. So I guess a lot of our uh, motorsport, supercars fans who listen to this podcast might know your voice and know your face from the recent Repco bringing the Bathurst uh, adverts you uh, pop onto our TV screens and sh- start shouting at us um, come October ready for uh, the, the great race. So, um, and I guess that's just been born out of a, uh, a, a relationship that you formed with uh, Repco as they've stepped into supercars as well. Your face has never been too far away from motorsport either, even even though, you know, you're not, have never really been directly involved with a supercars team or or running cars or or whatever like uh, whatever but but you've always been sort of on the scene why is it uh, i guess i've always had a passion for everything supercars and and uh and racing and motorsport and and custom cars and the whole the whole lot and i remember going to you know supercar races when i was a lot younger and and just always loved it Lo- love walking through the pit areas and and looking at the the trucks and everything and and just through what we did with freestyle motocross and and traveling around and and performing at events, you get to meet a lot of people. We we formed some great friendships uh, with a handful of drivers and then with sponsors. So I've always um, and and that's just built from from one year to the next. Uh, our first ever supercar round was nearly twenty years ago in Canberra at the GMC four hundred. So we've been around for a long time, and I guess from performing. Uh, helping with sponsorship stuff, with activations. Yeah, I like I say, I never raced cars. I, I raced a car for the first time two years ago. I raced an XL and an Enduro with yep. a friend of mine. It was the first time I'd ever actually raced a car. But um, I love everything else that goes into supercars. And and the bringing the Bathurst ad, as you said, it developed from a relationship. We were asked to, to bring something to Repco's first event, which was the Bathurst 500. They'd just done the, the naming rights deal and, and we took our Repco Rider stretch buggy and and I had just finished building the C10 and I just wanted to do laps of Bathurst. So I suggested, how about we do some course car rides and we wrap it uh, Repco. And we went there and it just exploded from there. And and then out of that uh, came the, the bringing the Bathurst ad. So first of all, I would like to apologize for yelling at everyone <laughs> around October, but I do get yelled at a lot when I go up the top of the mountain when everyone yeah. wants to win free stuff. So they get me back, but... Yeah, that was um, that was just something that was born from the concept for the ad, and then they were looking at talent to be on the ad, and then my name just got thrown around because, you know, I was could drive the cars, I was at the event, I've had experience in live acting and announcing and live events, so it, for them it was a no brainer as they put it to me, and it was a it was a great honor and privilege to be involved in something like that, um, and you know it's been fun along the way. The first ad, we had a, a ball with, you know, Will Davison's a good friend of ours. So to work with those guys and and do the donuts and everything with him and the supercar going around us, it was a bunch of fun. And then last year with all the fans. So, you know, it's, a, it's an exciting time 
come October to be involved in such a great campaign. Mm, yeah, no, it is a uh, it's a cool campaign, and and only in its infancy as well. Just uh, it seems like a, a, a forever that uh, we've had uh, Repco as the major sponsor of supercars, and also with the Bathurst One Thousand. But you know, we're only two years into it, and looking forward to seeing what's going to come about for year three of the Repco <laughs> Bathurst One Thousand, and a big year as well being the uh, 60th running of the great race at Mount Panorama. Uh, okay. And um, yeah, look, I, I guess I get to deal with you quite a bit through uh, the uh, video production and media work that I do with Repco. Um, that last Bathurst 1000 that we went to was um, trying conditions is probably the nicest way to put it. But the reaction of the the reaction, the passion, and the vibe of the fans up on top of the mountain, despite the fact that they were living in mud, it was constant rain. But you know, you take your uh, your Showtime crew up there uh, with Repco, and you do heaps of giveaways and put on, I guess, what you call little shows. The reaction is was just phenomenal. Yeah, for us, um, how that developed the first year. Like we came up with an idea to do free meat tray raffles up the top of the mountain. And I said to Repco, I just need probably 10 meat trays a night. I'm going to go up there and give out some tickets and have a few extra giveaways and we'll draw a raffle. And And it exploded after night one and then night two got bigger and we were raiding the store, just getting more and more, more and more uh, giveaways because the crowd was just having a good time. Then it ended up in a big sing-along and, and it was unbelievable, uh, you know, bunch of fun for us but everyone really enjoyed it so for last year we had bigger plans we had more meat trays we had more staff we we sort of planned it a little bit more because the first year it was like we kind of made it up as we went along and then when the weather had hit we got lucky and each night when we went up there there was a break in the weather and after the first night as you said to see what these people the fans and that that's one of the biggest things I love about being involved in Repco it's so much about the fans like that give them a ride in a car or, you know, a, a giveaway or an experience. Um, I'm always, you know, flooding the pit garages with people I've just promised stuff to and, and the teams have been real accommodating because for me, that's what I used to do as a kid. I used to look in transporters and try and sneak in, look in the door and what's going on in the garage. So when we went up there and seen what they were living with and those of you that were up there, unbelievable, the passion was incredible. We actually come down after the first night and I said to the guys at the Revco store, we need like truckloads of giveaways. I want everyone to get something that's up there. We, you know, and, and we just loaded the van up and went up there and for four days, we just had an absolute blast and, and we were taken to people's campsites that were literally a foot underwater mm. and they bought propped, propped their beds up and, you know, you were there. It, it was just incredible. And they'd still come out and they'd still have a good time and they were singing along and guys were sliding in the mud and, you know, and we met a guy that had been there. He said it was some of the worst conditions he's experienced. He'd been there 37 years and never been in a pit garage and had a tour. And to surprise him, the next day we went and met him at his campsite, gave him a pit tour. He got a ride in the C10 around Bathurst. His family was up the top of the mountain. To be able to give that to, to a fan like... For us, it's, you know, it's the least we could do. You know, they're up there all week long hanging out like that. So to go up there and be able to make people's day and, and have some fun is really an awesome experience for us. And we're going to be doing it for a long time yet. I think the the Repco thing, they've committed to the sport. Um, the way I see it, 
and uh, and I'm stoked to go there. So it's uh, it's all about the fan experiences for me, and uh, it, that's why it's fitted so well with Repco. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, my shoes are still very upset at me about <laughs> that Bathurst 1000 uh, last year that we had. That was uh, atrocious conditions, and trying to get just from. Uh, a to B was was difficult. Um, okay, cool. So, hey, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the C10, very popular addition to uh, any Repco Supercars event that we might see. The the, uh, the car and your fleet go to most of these events, but the C10 is a pretty popular thing. You know, I see, I have to film and take photos a lot of the car. Uh, it's always a winner on social media. So uh, thanks for that. Makes my uh, job a little <laughs> bit easier, but um, it's very popular with the fans. You know, people were getting photos taken in front of it and asking lots of questions about it. Um, I'll, uh, I'll use the C10 as the, as the photo on the parked up social medias in case you don't know what I'm talking about, but um, tell me about the inspiration behind this thing. You know, how did, what, what, what makes the C10 the C10 and uh, what's, what's it all about? Yeah. So uh, it started um, just as a, it, we kind of fell into it, to be honest. I've, I've always had custom cars and older hot rods and, and stuff. And when you get, newer cars as your daily drivers you kind of realize how bad some of these older cars are to drive and my goal was always one day to build a late model running gear as much late model stuff as i can and um and i'd met a guy Lindsay, um and he's based up at gimpy and he was doing hot rods with ba falcon running gear so he, he had a you know a, a um, minimum production run of these hot rods and He'd, you'd take a BA Falcon in there and he'd cut it all down and make a, a 41 Willys hot rod body fit on top. And I went for a driving one and they just drove like brand new cars. And um, But the Willys coupe wasn't really my style and suited to me. But I always stayed friends with Lindsay and we'd met through a few other projects. And uh, long story short, with our shows at Movie World, we'd absolutely trash the body of a ute. And I thought... You went through training our new drivers, and I thought, well, if we could take a ute, cut as much of the body off the ute, and they call them skeleton cars online, you can look on YouTube. And we thought, if we can just cut this VE down as small as we can, cut all the body panels off it. So I went up to Lindsay and I said, Lindsay, can you just do this, cut all this? When when we cut it all off, can you put a roll cage in it and make sure it's not going to step it snap in half? Get your engineer to have a look at it. So. Lindsay did all that work for us. And then the engineer came and I was there and I, he come, said, oh, if you just do this, this and this, it'll be ready for its first inspection. And I said, what do you mean first inspection? And he said to me, well, you want to put a body on this and register, don't you, for road use? And I was like, my brain just 100 mile an hour ticked over and went, well, no, but is that doable? And he said, 100%, the way you've done this, it's doable. So we took that car back to movie world and it was virtually a skeleton of a VE Commodore SS. So then I went on to Photoshop. I don't do 3d software. I don't do all that. I pretty primitive. I primitive. I went to movie world. I took a photo of the skeleton. Um, I measured three meters, took a motorbike stand, sat my iPhone on, measured three meters from the car, took a photo, went around to a friend's house that had a C10 parked a C10. I've always liked C10s did the exact same thing, measured three metres so the scale was right, took a photo, put them on Photoshop, and I played around for a few hours to see if a C10 lengthwise would fit on a on VE wheelbase. And it was very close. We just had to take a bit out of the back, behind the rear wheel and in front of the rear wheel. 
So I said to Lindsay, I think this could work. And we did a few other calculations. And long story short, we went and bought a uh, an ex-company car, VE SS Commodore, dead stock. Drove that up to Gympie. And then I found, uh, Lindsay started work on that. And then I found a um, C10, dead original truck and imported from America by an old guy. Found that, actually drove that to Gympie with my Harley in the back. And we spent three days there just cutting pretty much the body. We took the body off the chassis of the C10, cut the whole floor out of it, whole firewall out of it, and just started going up and down, trying to get it to fit over the VE Commodore and cutting away what we needed. And we did that and we uh, we jumped through all the hoops, got the, the whole thing registered. So it's actually, people say, oh, it's got VE running gear. It is actually a VE Commodore ute with a C10 body welded over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's then we took it down to high talk and those guys, you know, did the engine for us, their, their cam, their tune, the exhaust. Um, but it's still got air conditioning, still got cruise control, uh, still runs standard Commodore carpet inside. Obviously, we, if you've seen the car, we fabricated Aaron from uh, down in Sydney, Aaron Gregory, guru fabricator. So he did all the interior, all the back, all the engine bay mods to make it not look like a VE Commodore. And yeah, so pretty much uh, we finished it. And the guys at High Talk said to me, it's bulletproof engine pretty much. And uh, so, yeah, we just started driving it around. And from driving down the highway to the beach up here on the Gold Coast with the air conditioner running to all of a sudden being at, you know, Bathurst or Townsville just blowing tyres off the back of the thing. It just sits on the limiter and, and it's been bulletproof. But I think what blows a lot of people away is the way it drives. Like we do course car sessions in it. Um, your listeners might have seen it. And when people ride in it, they can't believe that they're in an old rusty looking truck mm. that handles like it does. Like we MCA suspension made some custom coilovers for us. The thing handles like it's on rails. Um, so I think a lot of people, what they come up and say, oh, well, this is the ultimate. It's like driving a, a late model car, but it looks just a cool old pickup truck. So uh, we've got a bit of a plan for a, another couple, you know, in the works, maybe down the road, because the concept's actually really, really cool because you get late model technology with that look. So, um, and that's how it all started. And literally, like I said, I, I finished that before our Repco partnership come around and I just wanted to do some laps at Bathurst. So I, I spoke to Supercars and said, I got a good idea for Repco before I pitch it to them. Could I pitch it to you? I'm going to bring this car. We can have it on display, have it Repco branded, and then we can do course car rides for Repco. So they've got their own car. And lucky enough, the, the powers that be at Repco love the idea. And within, I think, what are we now, two, nearly two years, uh, you know, we've got seven cars, I think, in the fleet now and, and more on the way. And, and it's developed into course cars and on-track entertainment and store appearances for the cars. And now released last week or a couple of weeks ago is a, a model of the BMW and the C10, which for me, that, um, that ticks a massive box, uh, the, the scale model from authentic collectibles. Cause when you're a kid, you have all your matchbox and hot wheels cars and all you dream about is owning in the car that you've got the model of one day or on owning a car. And then when you get a cool car, all you think is imagine having a model of the cool car. So mm. I'm stoked with that. I, I've got the uh, prototypes of the two models, the only ones at the moment in existence, sitting in the office. And I, I look at them every day and just have to pinch myself to think we're going to have a model of the C10 
uh, getting sold in in stores, which is really cool. Really yeah, cool, cool from those guys to step on board. Well, we need Will Hall to uh, step on it and get those things out. I can imagine they'll be uh, quite uh, popular. Um, yeah, so you like so you had the C10, and I guess that was the first uh, car that we've seen as part of the Repco fleet. Uh, it's funny that you talk about how this was just a uh, you know a one-off that that I guess Repco has had kind of fallen into because it was something that you were building, but now the Repco fleet is its own little uh, team that you see at the track. You've got. You've got a Subaru, you've got the very cool BMW, uh, just released recently, an FJ40 Toyota Land Cruiser, which is the furthest thing away from a uh, regular uh, FJ40 uh, Land Cruiser that you could uh, kind of think of. Uh, Ford Mustang, uh, which I guess kind of looks a bit like a, um, a safety car. Uh, yeah, you've uh, <laughs> the hauler, the, the Repco hauler, the Repco rider. Sorry, the list goes on. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's as I say, we enjoy what we do so much, and and it's just about mixing stuff up. Like the BMW, I've always loved. I uh, since I was young, I've always loved three series little E30 BMWs, and and when I was starting to think after the success of the C10, what could be next? I thought, what about an LS Power wide body BMW? And um, that just started with with some ideas and some some concept concepts and worked with a fabricator kamikaze atomic customs up here on the gold coast and literally bought a old crappy e30 bmw and we did an ls swap on that and then went to him with a with a massive set of wheels the the actual same wheels that are on the c10 same offset same size so we could interchange the wheels if we've got the track together and then so that was the first thing we started with was rotiform made some one-off wheels in america for us sent them over and we just went up to Kamikaze's, got a grinder, cut the guards out, and then just got some cardboard and wanted to do a one-off wide-body kit for it. And the idea was to have a bare-bones race car look to it um, and with this all-steel hand-fabricated wide-body kit. So that that kind of come along, and then the Mustang came along. It was obviously an easier build. Uh, Herod, Rob Herod, a good friend of ours, and, and the guys at DJR helped out with that one. It was a quick build before Bathurst just to get another course car out on the track mm. to take customers. So it was cool. It's It's got a half cage. It's got a full painted interior and exhaust and tune and cam and rotiform wheels, and, and it looks the part. Got a custom light bar on the roof. And so then it went along, and we've got a WRX, and we're just kind of picking a, a bit of a different, I guess, vehicle each time. The hauler was a... Um, it's obviously our DJ hauler that we take up the top of the mountain. And yeah, the FJ40 just came about. Uh, it's, I haven't really been into four wheel drives that much, but it was just something that caught my eye that was for sale. And one thing I really noticed about supercar fans, I think a lot of people think that every supercar fan back in the day drives a Falcon or a Commodore or a Mustang or, you know, but they don't. A lot of them drive Ford Rangers and Silverados and, all this sort of stuff. And so I thought there's a lot of supercar fans that are into four-wheel driving and Repco are having a push as well. Obviously, a lot of their customers are into the enthusiast side of, of motoring. So I thought an FJ40, any type of Land Cruiser, 79 series, but the FJ came available and and we jumped on it. And it's only been to two events so far and it's been a huge hit. And yeah, we're we're really stoked with it. Again, work with Camo from Atomic Customs and and a lot of suppliers come on board for this one, like Steady Lights and 
Runver Winches on the front there, and we've got GM, GME, the, you know, the list goes on, just to make it like a modern version of an old-school Land Cruiser, and it, and it got launched at Newcastle, and, uh, yeah, it was a huge hit. So the list goes on. We've got a couple of donor cars sitting in containers just waiting for the for a bit of time to free up in the in the workshop and, and get into the next one. Cool. Okay. Um, hey, if you want to catch... Uh, some of the build of the uh, FJ40, then you can go check out Repco's uh, social media pages, YouTube page, and you'll be able to find it there. What is next? What What's the next uh, little weapon the uh, that might join the Repco fleet? Um, well, this is probably a secret, but <laughs> I can probably tell you. All Grant, of my listeners uh, promise not to yeah, say. No, anything. no, no, no. It's not. It's not really a secret. Obviously, I love cars, and and you know, a lot of people think that Repco just call us and say, "Could you please build us a wide body, B, uh, you know, WRX to bring to Bathurst?" That's not how it happens. Um, our, our team's got to back themselves and and look at different ideas, and sometimes you've got to jump on stuff when it comes for sale and. And then come up with a concept. So at the moment, we we are working on a LS powered forerunner sitting in one of our containers, which might be next in line. We've got a chop top BMW, uh, chop top Volkswagen yep. Beetle, which was used in our movie world show, and we retired it about four years ago, and we never got rid of it. And we just hung on to it, and it might be just a bit of an bit of eye candy, not a high-performance vehicle, but it looks really cool. And I think with some of the partners we've got on board now, it could really turn into something. So we've got that, and obviously I've got ideas. <laughs> I've got files on my computer of different ideas. I travel to America at least once once a year, you know, to, to attend other motorsport events and, and SEMA and all those sort of shows just to get ideas and just to mix things up a lot. Obviously, the course car side of it is very popular. Uh, I think what makes the Repco fleet a little bit different is the excitement of doing it in something a little bit different mm. uh, around the track. So we'll just see maybe something that can fit a few more people in. Uh, you know, I'd really like to do something with a Ford Raptor. So, you know, we're, we're always talking to those guys, that, you know, if they ever find a spare one to, but there's no chance of that at the moment because the wait for them is so long. So, you know, there's a bunch of ideas, Grant. As you know, I, I run them by you every time I see you. But uh, I, I'm just super stoked. We we treat every every build we we do like it's our first one because we're that excited just to be doing what we're doing. And and for us, the it's it's all the drivers and the teams and the fans when you're unloaded off the truck or you get snippets on social media and then you get the comments from the guys saying, "Oh, that that thing's cool," and and then you know it's worked. And yeah, so. We've got a bit of a list of of stuff I'd love to build moving forward. Right. Okay. Now, just uh, for some of the listeners, you might you might hear Gary or myself talk about course car rides, and like you and I know what those things are. But just to explain, if you go to your local uh, supercars event and about seven o'clock in the morning, you'll hear cars uh, start to drive around the track at like pretty decent pace, and these are for. Um, for supercars with its fleet of course cars, um, the the safety car, the medical cars, the the actual course cars, uh, a bunch of um, their their other partners' cars like Repco with its fleet, uh, take customers out for laps of that circuit. Sometimes they've got 
uh, supercar staff who drive them. Sometimes they get like Super 2 uh, or other support category drivers to to wheel these things around. You, your guys uh, look after your cars. And, uh, yeah, the smiles that you see on the faces of the uh, of the people, you know, before, during and after certainly makes it worthwhile because, um, yeah, as much as a, a going for a lap in a supercar is very cool, it's also very you know, difficult uh, to achieve, particularly over a race weekend. That you, you just the, the lucky few do get the opportunity from time to time to get a hot lap in an actual supercar. But uh, the course car laps do really open it up to uh, to give uh, much more people a, an experience around the circuit, uh, and uh, you know, to get to do it at a uh, you know at a at a reasonable speed as well. That must be one of the more rewarding. Uh, aspects of a supercars weekend to be involved in for yourself yeah, yeah it definitely is and and like you say it's the the smiles on people's faces it's it's a great thing that supercars and their sponsors do uh afford the the major partner with the vehicles and uh you know supercars and ford let us use the fleet cars in there obviously we've got our mustang and the c10 because it's a very unique vehicle and and as you say we we take care of driving ours and other drivers drive the other ones but you know, it's it's classed as a spirited lap. Uh, you know, we get up to speeds of 130 around the track. And, you know, yes, coming down Conrad, 130 doesn't seem fast, but going cr- across the top of the mountain um, and through the chase when you've got a limit at 130, it's extremely fast at Bathurst and Townsville when you're only six inches and Adelaide off the wall. And, and Newcastle was an unbelievable track to do a course car riding. So... You know, to to see, like you say, to see the people's faces. I I did some numbers the other day, and and Repco are really big. A lot of these course car rides are say for sponsors of the event, corporates. Repco are really big on we give them out to the public, so we run competitions, or it could just be me or one of the guys randomly walking through the merchandise alley and you know go up to someone and surprise people with a course car ride. So one minute you're walking through merchandise alley or you're lined up at the gate and the next minute you're heading to pit lane to jump in a course car ride which is a you know a big buzz for those people but you look at the numbers that supercars get for example 120,000 people go to Bathurst yeah I think we do we do course cars three mornings I think it's Friday Saturday Sunday we'd probably get 80 to 90 people I'd say through call it 100 people that's 300 people Last year did course car rides at Bathurst. There was 120,000 people there. So anytime you have someone that's lucky enough to get a course car ride in the car, you know, it, the smile on their face, the, you know, the guy that we took that had been going to Bathurst for decades and never been around the track in a car, to take him, the smile on his face was absolutely incredible. Obviously being in the C10, it's a point of different car. It sounds like a race car. It looks like a race car inside. We got the windows down. The noise is just echoing through the cabin. Um, you know, it's exciting for us as drivers, but for the for the crowd to see it, and I think they're going to be around. I'd love to do them during the day as well. Uh, obviously, the the programming of supercar events don't allow that, but I think it'd be really cool to get some done during the day as well because for the fans, it's incredible. It, it is an incredible experience. You know, as you say, a, a hot lap in a supercar is good um don't get me wrong it's one of the best experiences you could ever do but 
it's not achievable for everyone because they're very limited numbers at events of when you can do one. So, and especially at Bathurst and Townsville and, and street circuits are really limited to time. So having a course car ride, and, you know, we talk to the, the people, we explain that, we you know, we go around this corner at 130 and a supercar goes through the corner at 230. And, you know, they're holding on for, for life with us probably because of our ability as a driver, maybe, but no, <laughs> just, uh, just joking. But, you know, and then they're, and then you talk to them about breaking points. So it's not just to get in, shut up and drive. It's actually educate the people and, and they get a really big understanding of uh, at what the supercar drivers go through. Yeah. So it's definitely a popular, popular thing. And it's a highlight for us. Um, but anytime you're on a supercar track in a car driving is, a, should be a highlight and is a highlight for us all the time. Well, anytime uh, you fans out there see Gary walking through the uh, paddock, and particularly if you see um, someone with a video camera near him, there's a fair <laughs> chance that he's going to have a, a piece of paper in his hand that's going to invite you to uh, come and do that. So definitely uh, tackle tackle Gary if you uh, if if you are at a track and you, and you see him walking around because a fair chance you going to have uh, some goodies to hand out, um, mate. So uh, I guess yeah, again. Our uh, our supercars and motorsport fans will know you as the the bringing the Bathurst guy and the guy who brings the uh, the the Repco and, and its fleet to the uh, to the circuits. But um, you know, I think as we touched on at the very top, there's uh, so much more. And and I guess what some a lot of people may have experienced a little bit of their own Gary Reed or uh, Showtime, your business. Um, without even knowing and that's through the movie world uh stunt car show so that's that's all your uh that's all you're doing you come up with the you know those uh those shows the uh typically they're police chases and it's just in that little uh that little stage area where you drive cars around very fast and things start exploding and cars are doing skids and uh, all manner of things are going on. That's uh, you've been doing that for qu- quite some time too. Uh, yeah, correct. The, the movie world show we started nine years ago there. We, we actually did a freestyle motocross show as part of a Halloween special event. And, and then we, we got asked to come up with a bit of a show concept for a, a Christmas period for six weeks every day which we did that and then the conversation started about what if what would a full-time show replacing our current show look like. Uh, Movie World used to do their current show in, in-house, so to speak, and we came in as a contractor. So we supply staff, cars, maintenance, show choreography, everything. So that started out, we started out with bikes in the show, obviously with our connections with Freestyle Motocross team and then a few things changed. So now we've got drifting cars in the show and some comedy and actors and all that stuff. So that's been nearly nine years we've been uh, been there doing that. 2014, we started there. And then 2019, which was very special for me because my whole entertainment career started as a water skier at SeaWorld when I was 29. Uh, sorry, 19, I should say. And, and then to go back there nearly 25 years later and actually put, put the show in there and, and bring water ski shows back to SeaWorld was was huge for us. So it all happened in our 20th year of Showtime, which was special. And my daughter um, skied in the show as a 16-year-old and we were the first father-daughter to ever ski together in the show, which is very special for me and and her and and all our family to to have that happen. So we've been there now since 2019 and we employ a 
employ a lot of local Australians and also a lot of international skiers and performers in the show. So every day except for Anzac Day and Christmas Day, we have a minimum of four and a maximum of seven shows running every day of the year except for two days of the year. And the Movie World ones also involve VIP experience where we take people for rides in the car and give them the drift experience on set as well. So it's, um, yeah, it's there's we've got about 30 staff across both parks and run from our office here on the Gold Coast. And, yeah, so, yeah, every day. So today I think we had six shows across both parks and and I think we did 11 pit passes. And so there's always, always something going on and, and I credit that to the team that I've got around us, Sam Jones, which you we, we call him the Ginger Ninja. You'll <laughs> see him at Supercar Rounds. Uh, he, he's my rock next to me. He he pretty much is on the phone in between operating the Pit Stop Challenge, getting course cars ready, changing burnout tyres and, and running the events at Supercars. He's also, you know, dealing with staffing and, and other issues at the parks. So we've, we've got a really tight-knit team that work really well together to, to pull it all off. Hey, busy, busy. I like it. And um, so uh, this is, uh, yeah, you've, you've got a busy, you, you live in a busy world and um, <laughs> and, and full credit to you for uh, what you've be able, been able to produce with, um, you know, I, I guess always uh, entertaining uh, the masses. Doesn't matter where you are, whether you're at a, um, a Gold Coast theme park or at a supercars event or whatever it might be. But I guess the one running joke, the, or not joke, it's not a joke, the one running tale that you have that maybe not many people know about, but certainly if they've spent, uh, maybe the running joke is if they've spent more than five minutes with you, you may have uh, reminded them or told them that you once appeared on Baywatch. Now, Baywatch, of yeah. course, is famous for, uh, what, what's Baywatch famous for? Pamela Anderson. It's famous for yeah. very tight red uh, swimming suits. Uh, of course, it was the TV show that was uh, well popular, that was made uh, in the United States, um, in in LA or, or California, and uh, beamed all around the world and, and uh, certainly created the, the legend that was uh pamela anderson so uh and you you played a role as something tell us about how uh you became a a hollywood tv star no you didn't you didn't have to bring this up did you it's, um, <laughs> i didn't no, but it's such a it's cool a, story i <laughs> i can i can send i can send you the link it's getting a bit old now it's you know but no on no seriously for me um it was it, it was kind of a, a very uh, surreal experience. I'd, I'd gone to America my first year. I always wanted to. I worked at SeaWorld on the Gold Coast for one year, then applied for a job at SeaWorld San Diego, and I got the job and, and moved to America and for a season. So I was over there for seven months. And about three months into the season, our, we were actually doing a Baywatch-themed ski show. So obviously, you know, you know, stunt shows are themed and, and so, and water shows are always themed to add a bit. So yep. we were doing a Baywatch one because at that time, Baywatch was the number one watch television show in Australia. Mm. Oh, sorry, in the world, I mm. should say. In mm-hmm. but, so it was very popular. So we had a, a themed Baywatch show and the producers of Baywatch decided they wanted to put water skiing in one of their episodes. And someone in LA suggested, oh, why don't we go down to San Diego and, have a look at the show and get some ideas. So 
I still remember the day we, we went to work and it was raining, it was drizzling and we were there to put on a show. And, and a lot of the Americans, it's a little bit different with Americans because to, to go over there as an Australian, there's one professional show here in Australia that employs between back in the day between 12 and 15 guys. So if you work here, you know, you've got to be a certain level to get the job. Like I went in there as an absolute rookie up here. I, I had such a talented group of skiers when I came through SeaWorld. Uh, I learned so much off them. But when you get to America, they have a lot of amateur teams. There's a lot more professional shows. So there's a lot more Americans to pick from. And I'm not saying I have, I've still got some great friends over there. But on this particular day, a lot of the skiers were saying, oh, we shouldn't have to ski if there's a small crowd because there would have been 40 people in the crowd. And it was windy. It was wet. It was, yeah, drizzling rain. It was just terrible conditions. But for me, as a 20-year-old Aussie that's living in America, in San Diego, down on the beach, to go to work every day and water ski, I was jumping out of my skin. So we did a show and I just skied in the acts I normally skied in. And and it must have caught someone's eye because after the show, I was asked to sit out the next show. And if I could go, there's a restaurant that overlooks the bay at San Diego where our water ski show was. And I got asked to to have a bite to eat and catch up with some people. I still didn't know what this was about. And I sat with our show director and the show started and there was four people sitting across from me and they, two of them had notepads and they were asking me all these questions. Where am I from in Australia? How old am I? What's my full name? All of this sort of stuff. And, and then the show started and they looked at an act and they said, Oh, can Gary do that act? And, and the show director said, yes. And then, they asked me about the next act. Can can I do that? And I said, yes, I can. Then my show director said that I can actually, you know, myself can do every act in the show from a male skier point of view. So they kind of nodded and and I still didn't know what was going on. And, and at the end of the show, one guy turned to the other guy and said, I think we've got something. And and I said, oh, excuse me, do you mind telling me what's going on? And they said, oh, sorry, we're actually writing an episode for Baywatch, our TV series. And we're going to write you in it to play yourself um, as a professional skier that works at SeaWorld. So I was, you know, literally straight on the phone to mum and dad. I was so excited to do it. Um, so, yeah, it, it stemmed from that. And we had a week week worth of filming and all, all our teammates were in it. Uh, two of us had speaking roles, myself and, um, and, a, and another girl from America. And, yeah, it, it, was, it was a buzz. Like, it, it, we all joke about it now, but to be honest, back then, it was super exciting to be involved in it. Uh, I've got a photo in a in a makeup trailer that, uh, you know, sitting next to Pamela Anderson, she's at one end and I'm at the other end and got to meet Tommy Lee. That That's when they were together. And yeah. and just the whole cast, David Hasselhoff, they were just gr- great people to be involved with. And they, they were super excited because, you know, hanging out in boats and watching water ski shows and, and different stuff. So they were real pumped on the episode and, and yeah, so we did the episode, and and it was a, was great. It was awesome. Uh, it was a lot of hard work, and for a week of filming, and then the episode came out, and really good money to get paid, and and then that was it. That was my acting was, career, pretty much. Um, that, that was done your, and dusted. Your and, Hollywood yeah. 15, 15 minutes of Hollywood fame. So you got to meet yeah. the Hoff. Did you get to meet David Hasselhoff? Did you? And you got to yeah. meet Pamela Anderson. Yeah, we've got. Uh, I've got lucky enough to have some really good photos and. Um, and the only thing that the only thing that didn't go in my favour is the uh, the gurus at the casting um, section of Baywatch decided I'd play myself, but they named me Spencer Reed, 
and I asked why they're calling me Spencer Reed, and they said, "Oh, because it's very Australian." <laughs> and I and I said to him, I said, "Well, I've lived for twenty years in Australia, and I've never met a Spencer, but I grew up in Canberra, and I was at a small pub once on the outskirts of Canberra called the Wood Duck Inn, and there was four Gary Reeds in the pub at the one time, <laughs> and two of us had exactly the same spelling, but I couldn't convince him, so instead of at the credits, it's saying." Um, Gary Reed playing himself and said Gary Reed playing Spencer Reed, but uh, right. but I've never, I've never, I still never met a Spencer in Australia mm-hmm. since then. So, but uh, but that was pretty funny. But you know, we got to, we've got some great photos and and uh, like I say, we got to meet Pamela Anderson and and Hasselhoff and and the rest of the cast and and they were great and just the whole experience about what goes into filming an episode of a TV show like that and and then um, yeah, it, the, the episode come out and a, a few people within SeaWorld and, and who I was working with suggested that, oh, you, you need to do this and you need to get an agent, you need to do this. And I just mm-hmm. thought to myself, there is that many people that have probably had some minor little role, speaking role in a TV show that have been caught and they're working at McDonald's, going to casting after casting after casting and it never goes anywhere. And I never had it, you know, I was just there to water ski and, and I still... I still really enjoyed the moment, but I don't think I could be an actor. And and one of the biggest thrills was the the producer came up at the end of shooting, and you know they do say it's a wrap, and everyone gets excited because there's no more filming. And the producer actually came up to congratulate me and said, "Look, you did really well on your first, you know, acting role, and thanks for that. Is there anything I if there's anything I could do for you?" And I actually said to him, "I said I'd really like one of the genuine Baywatch jackets." So we wore Baywatch jackets. If you know the show, you know what I'm talking about, the nice red ones. We wore Baywatch jackets in our show, but they weren't the genuine proper ones that the cast wore. Yep. And I said, and he goes, you know what? I'm going to get one sent to you. And and I thought, okay, thanks. And I thought, this guy is never sending me a jacket. And because they had all our details, it, about four months after I got home from America, in the mail comes this US postal parcel. And I opened it up and it, it was a handwritten note from him saying, a promise is a promise. Thanks for all your efforts. Episode turned out great. And it was a legit, genuine Baywatch jacket with my name embroidered across the chest. So a uh, bit of memorabilia there. It was it was a really good time. And and as you say, it's a running joke with everyone in our in our Repco family. And uh, but yeah, it, it was a bunch of fun. And um back at the back in the day, it was a long time ago now, but I do still have the link somewhere on my phone if you ever want to see it, Grant. But that's, a, that's a, for um, another story. So yeah, um, so. no, very, very cool, and only a running joke because we're very, very, very jealous that you got to hang out with the Hoff. That, that's that's the yeah, only reason. That's the only reason why we uh, bring it up. Only once or twice every day at the track for every yeah, race yeah. meeting that we go to. Uh, cool. Hey, yeah, Gary, it's, thank it's you so funny. much. It's funny. Oh, sorry. No, I was just about okay. to say it, it gets. It gets funny now because we're getting on, you know, it's a bit few, been a few years. So you actually meet someone and I know it's, you've been caught by this before. You make a joke that oh, you might know Gary, he was on Baywatch. And then when the people look at you, like you're from outer space and then like, what is Baywatch? <laughs> you know, right. that you know, we're nearly forgotten about because the new generation does not have a clue who Pamela Anderson or no. David Hasselhoff or Baywatch is. But, um, but we'll just, we'll just go out with the older, older crew. So that's right. Um, no, cool, mate. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, mate, so many other questions or places we could have taken this chat, but uh, certainly from our, uh, for our racing fans, a little bit of an insight into that uh, that really cool Repco fleet that you bring 
along to the tracks for uh, almost every supercars event plus pit stop challenge. Didn't even talk about that. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. But, um, um, and uh, yeah, I had to tick off that uh, Baywatch thing. So um, mate, uh, looking forward to uh, the next time we see you and uh, thanks for being on parked up. No, thank you very much, Grant. And uh, look forward to it and look forward to seeing everyone at the uh, next round of supercars and hopefully taking I can't say everyone, but taking as many fans for a ride in our Repco fleet as possible. Uh, yes, and thank you very much, Gary, for your time on the Parked Up podcast. And thank you to everyone out there for listening. Of course, if you want to see and hear some more, please join the conversation on our Facebook and Instagram pages. All you got to do is search up Parked Up Plus. Uh, what else could you do? You could also listen to the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing podcast. A cool episode came out recently with Tony Evangelo, and you're going to hear a new podcast from the team at Napa, Darren Smith and Gary O'Brien, the great man, Gary. Uh, and that is, uh, that's going to launch tomorrow on Friday. And it's with Mark Tierney. You would have heard Mark Tierney plenty of times on the parked up podcast. Of course, uh, he is the CEO of race fuels, great supporter of this podcast great supporter of the australian motorsport community and uh we get to find out a lot lot more about mark tierney and what makes the man tick uh and what helps bring that great fuel that uh, everyone uses in their race cars from supercars all the way down to uh, club level motorsport we get to uh hear a lot more from mr race fuels um and girls on the grid as well of course they're up for a big gong this week, you'll be able to hear a little bit more about that soon, but they've been uh, nominated for a uh, Victorian Sports Award and we find out if they're successful uh, next week. So if they are successful, I'm sure the girls will be ringing and singing some drums from uh, the tallest mountain they can find. In the meantime, thank you so much for your support uh, of Parked Up. And uh, the next time you'll hear from us on this channel is on Parked Up Plus. Mark Fogarty, 5 p.m. every Monday. For now, I'm Grant Rowley, and uh, enjoy your week. You've just listened to another Network Hard production.